it's amazing how music influences us, isn't it? Uh, here I was before the uh, meet and greet time, and Crown Him with Many Crowns is my absolute favorite hymn of all time. <clears throat> and to hear that in the first service, I couldn't even make it through, uh, you know, without breaking down. And uh, I barely made it through this time. And then to hear that song for the very first time in the first service, uh, Interesting, isn't it? What music does to your heart, even to your body, your soul, your emotions. And the power of influence is real. I was thinking about how when I see our grandkids playing when they come over and, you know, they're doing fine, each one maybe on their own, and then suddenly, I want to play with that toy. And that becomes then what the others say at the same time. Like, what do you call that? Peer pressure, influence? But you know, it doesn't stop with kids, right? We're all kids, we're all influenced, whether it's in sports. Uh, I heard Neil making an announcement about the men's retreat and retreats, and he talked about having a timeout or something like that, right? So when you talk about sports, remember, maybe you wanted to throw just like that person did, or catch, or run, or jump, or whatever it might be, or wear the jersey with the number on the back, right? Uh, maybe it's in, in music where you want to sing like, play like, dance like that person. Or maybe it's where we all live and that's what we wear, fashion, you know. What do you think about when you put something on or you want to replace something in your wardrobe, right? Um, it's more than just what can you afford, but how will I look like this in comparison to? And there are people that we want to imitate. Maybe it's, I mean, you, you pick yours, cars, hobbies, maybe lifestyle, right? Like where to live, what sort of place to live in, how to decorate it. Yeah, it's very pervasive. What kind of technology we have? Do we have the latest and the greatest, or do we have what our friends have and that kind of a thing? So, this power to influence sometimes goes unnoticed by the influencer, but other times, especially in the world of advertisement, it's very purposeful, isn't it? I don't know if you, know, you step back and watch the way we're influenced by things that pop onto our phones, emails, uh, billboards, commercials on TV, Right? They're all trying to get us to buy the thing that looks like we would want it. Influence. It's all around us. It's like the air we breathe. All because they want your money. Well, this, this whole uh, notion of influence is subtle, but it's really, really strong. It's the way it works as humans. 
as all humans. And I think that's why Jesus, in what we're going to look at today from his Sermon on the Mount, uses influence in a way that is uh, kind of familiar to us, but hopefully will be fresh. Before we go there, remember last week, if you were here, Pastor Shep talked about the Beatitudes. This sermon about how to be and live in God's upside-down kingdom starts off by saying the people who are in it are a certain way. But before describing those eight ways, you remember how it starts? That's where the, the word beatitude comes from. They are to be envied. They are blessed. They are in a better position as God's new people than they were before. They are different and living in a unique way. So, if you're ready, let's take a look at our passage today, which reminds us about this new humanity that we just sang about, that Paul talks about, that God is building right now. The scriptures today is uh, either in your lap, on your phone, uh, your electronic device, your church bulletin, or it's on the screen here as well. It's Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Hear Jesus. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Familiar, isn't it? If you've been a Christian for a while, we often talk about salt and light. If you think about it for a minute, though, Jesus has just talked in eight ways about who is in God's kingdom. They are not the kind of people that we would think would be influencers. The people who would be influencers are the people who hold to the unbeatitudes that Pastor John reminded us about last week. Do you remember that? <coughs> Congratulations. This is Ray Ortland who wrote this. Congratulations to the entitled, for they grab what they want. Congratulations to the carefree, for they shall be comfortable. Congratulations to the pushy, for they shall win, to the greedy, for they shall climb the food chain, to the vengeful, for they shall be feared, to those who don't get caught, for they shall look good. Congratulations to the argumentative, for they shall get the last word, and to the popular, for the world lies at their feet. Now, that's real influence. Don't you feel the pressure of that in all of those and more? And yet, when Jesus says, 
No, the real blessed people are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who thirst for righteousness. And he goes through the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and the persecuted. And now he says, let your light shine. Do you, do you see how that kind of sounds a little, maybe not contradictory, but really? Is that going to make a difference? Well, it will. So I want to show you how it will and why it will in just a minute, but let's just uh, explore these two metaphors real quickly. Because when I say salt, you and I probably think of what you have in your pantry. You know, everything from regular table salt to, what is it, pink Himalaya salt, garlic salt, pepper salt, rock salt, I mean, grinding and this, that, and the other, right? But the salt that Jesus is talking about was in the Middle East, came from the Dead Sea. And when it evaporates the water that's 30% mineral, it's got all these crystals there. And in the ancient world, salt was a commodity, like silver and gold and, and uh, later coffee. In fact, I shouldn't have even said that because now I'm getting off. But footnote, did you know that, that coffee became like gold and silver and oil in the world when it was first invented? But now back in the first century, you are the coffee of the world? Maybe. But Jesus didn't have coffee, but he had salt. And salt, if you uh, actually go to the word salary, people's salary, that word in English comes from the Latin word salarium, sal, that talks about the way Roman soldiers were paid with salt crystals. It was very, very important. And you and I might think, well, yeah, pass the salt, right? Because the meat or the food is bland. But in the ancient world, they said pass the salt because the raw meat is rotting. That's what salt was used for. You could spread it on top of any kind of meat, and it would suddenly stop the decay, and it would preserve it. Some of you might know of a salt pork or country ham that has a very salty taste. The salty taste comes as a byproduct of meat being salted because it was preserved. Secondly, when Jesus said, you are the light, and he talks about lamps that are held up and not covered, Again, he wasn't talking about electric bulbs or fluorescent tubes or LEDs or whatever it might be. He was talking about oil lamps, olive oil that was put inside some sort of clay or if you could afford it, a bronze container with a wick. You light it and it becomes like a candle. In fact, if you go home and want to try this, Instead of putting olive oil on your salad or cooking with it, just put a little bit out and put a flame to it. It'll burn. Olive oil. It was used in the ancient world like we would call uh, fuel oil today. 
And these lamps, you could hold in your hand, kind of like a little flashlight, or if you could afford it, you could have a bronze holder for it, and you would put the lamp on it. I've even seen some that have in a circle, so you could put like six or eight around there. Or some, as you see there on the right, were actually made with a built-in stand about a foot or two tall. If you put more together, obviously more light. So pretty easy to see, isn't it? It's pretty clear. Jesus is saying, you, Christians, can have an influence just like salt does on meat to prevent decay, just like light does in darkness to push the darkness back. But I want you to see something in the passage. Jesus doesn't start by saying, Okay, here's what you need to do, he says, reminding them, here's who you already are. You know, this is true all in, the, all in the Bible. You see, God's way of working his new humanity is not to say to the old humanity, hey, get better, try harder, do this and you will live. No, it's just the opposite. What does he say? He actually makes us new. He doesn't say, be new on your own. He grants us through the act of his creative power. The word that said, let there be light, is the one who shined his light into our hearts. We didn't generate it ourselves. The light came in. The prisoner had his chains dropped off. That's the image of redemption in the Bible. That's the difference between religion that says do and a relationship with God through his new birth that says done. I hope you know what that means today because that makes you part of God's new humanity. So what he says, first of all, to us is, here's who you are. Your identity is one of, could we say, saltiness and brightness. You are light. And then he moves in with be brighter, be saltier. See the order there? One thing that's important to remember is, though, that it's so easy to just think, oh, salt, light? Well, I, I guess I am, but because we're in the fishbowl, we don't realize that we're in the water of the world but we're not made for that fishbowl. In other words, it's easy to, to forget our identity. So that, do you see the way it's worded? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. This is the new humanity and the old humanity. 
You've got to remember that as part of our identity. And only when you really see who you are in light of who you were, can you really listen to the words of Jesus where he says, make a difference. Be different. And what he says is, it's, it's kind of the same, but there's a little different. He says, you're salt. Now, I would expect them to say something like, then go out and salt something. Salt the meat. But he doesn't say that. He says, be careful that your salt remains salty. Hmm. In other words, it's not so much a call to action. It's a call to be more of who you are. How do you get closer to being real salt? Well, you... Um, like we sang earlier today, you, your heart's cry is, Lord, you be my vision. You be my all in all. The closer you get to the light, the closer you get to the true salt, if I could mix the metaphor here, the more salt you will absorb. And then he says, use your life to dispel the darkness. Here is the command to do something. You already are shining, so take the cover off. Take the lid off. Let the light go out. Be who God created you to be. Unleash the power of light. You know, um, I was, I got up this morning before light came, and it was dark in the room, and I had my phone nearby, so all I had to do was just turn it on not use the flashlight on the phone, but just turn it on, and this, the light from the screen lit my way to the door out to the hallway. It wasn't a lot of light, but it was enough light in the darkness to be all the light I needed. So this kind of two-fold approach to prevent decay, to, to hold back the rottenness of the world system that's all around us and continues to push in us day by day in subtle ways. You might say that's the defensive mode. And then the offensive mode is to get the light out there. John Stott, who wrote a great book on the Sermon on the Mount, said we should never put our two vocations to be salt and light over against each other as if we had to choose between them. No, neither can be a substitute for the other. The world needs both. It is bad and it needs salt. It is dark and it needs light. Our Christian vocation is to be both. So the, the difficulty is, I mean, isn't it nice to be in the light and with other lights? We just like it. It's, you know, it's sometimes called the Christian bubble. Well, we need it. But the reason we are light and have light is to go out and lighten the darkness. The reason you are salty is not to say, hey, 
let's have a spoonful of salt. No, it's to go out there and put just a little grain there and watch how things change, how people change. You know, this morning, I don't know if you were out in the ice, but maybe you've seen the salt trucks, or maybe around your house you did some sort of ice melting, right? You don't need as much salt as you have snow to get rid of the snow. Because there's something about salt that as soon as it hits the ice, the water starts to break down into liquid. As soon as a Christian comes into a room, sometimes the whole tone of the conversation changes. As soon as a Christian sends that email and says something, light comes into the email chain. That's the power of influence. You don't need a flashlight or your phone to see when the lights are on, when the sun is out. You only need it in the darkness. So my challenge to you this morning and to me is to say, where is it dark? Where is it rotting? That's where we need to go to. I want to tell you a quick story about a ministry that our church has that many of you are a part of. How many of you have any role, whether a, a customer or a volunteer or a staff member in our food pantry? Would you put your hand up? Let me just see. Okay. Quite a number. I asked Kay Negley about this, and she told me this story that I think will encourage you. She said, Barry came to us with his best friend to volunteer in the pantry. Both men had a Jewish background, and we at the pantry lived the gospel in front of these two retired friends. But it soon became apparent that Barry was quite ill, and his prognosis was not good. A visit to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota for two weeks was needed to make a diagnosis. A pantry volunteer's sister opened her house in Minnesota for Barry and his wife to stay with them while they were being seen at the Mayo Clinic. As the disease progressed, customers and volunteers welcomed Barry's help, even when he could only stand for an hour. Eventually, he went into hospice care, where we had the opportunity to visit and pray with him. And when Barry passed away, some of the volunteers took turns sitting at his widow's home for safety reasons, and some attended <clears throat> his memorial service. They also passed the hat and paid for Barry's home to be professionally cleaned. Barry's widow was so touched by the kindness that she now volunteers in the food pantry regularly where we live the gospel in front of her as well. That's a great story. But maybe some of you might think, well, yeah, well, I, I didn't put my hand up, or that's great, that's the church. I'm just me, you know, who am I? I'm just like your phone, you know? I don't even have a flashlight. 
You might think, what, what use am I? I'm just one person. Well, Jesus, when he says this, says, and I tried to read it this way, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Maybe you thought I was being a little over the top there. Actually, in the Greek language, he makes the pronoun emphatic. He like underlines it. You are. Well, I don't believe it. Well, no, you are. <laughs> so believe Jesus. You can make a difference. You can prevent corruption. You can spread goodness and everything that Christians are. Or you might say, but I don't know. My, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a professional. My, my, my life has darkness in it. Not, it's not very light. It sounds like you have to, you know, generate all this. Well, let me tell you that uh, I found something really interesting in the Bible because in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, the book that we looked at at Christmas, Advent time, that had all these promises about the coming Messiah, Jesus, right? There's one of them that says, I will make you, the Messiah, a light for the nations, for the Gentiles, that my salvation may come to the ends of the earth. And of course, that was fulfilled when Jesus came the first time, and, right? He even said, I am the light of the world. But what I found just really amazing is that when you read the book of Acts, and Paul is talking to his people that don't know Jesus, Jewish friends and other people, he says, the Lord has commanded us. And he quotes the very verse that first applied to Jesus. I have made you a light for the Gentiles. Now, is Paul misreading his Bible? I don't think so. What Paul is doing is realizing that once you become part of God's new humanity, you start to generate the same light that Jesus gives. Think about it like this. Uh, I heard this illustration once. Jesus is the light of the world. You are the light of the world. So that's like the sun and the moon. And we as Christians are like moons, planets. We don't have light. We just reflect light. Well, I don't know. Not a bad illustration. But it's not the best illustration. Because according to the New Testament, we are not moons or planets. We're like other stars. In fact, Paul calls us that in Philippians 2. He says, you shine and stars shine from the inside. If we are one with Jesus, the light that we have is his light. Why am I telling you that? Because there's no excuse to say, I can't make any difference. I have to be this super Christian in order to really shine his light. Oh, no, you don't. You are a new person in Christ. 
The new creation has come when the God who said, let there be light in Genesis, with that same power, spoke his light into your heart to show you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's called regeneration. When you were born again, you now become a light giver. So I thought, who do I know, know in the church that are like this? And I thought, well, my friends Van and Rune Hellerslia are like this. So I said to them, where are they? Come on. I said, you got a few minutes. Tell us something that will encourage us, because I know you guys could be up here for two hours, really, about all the uh, stories and people that you have influenced. But here we go. Let's welcome them as, as they're here. So if there are any 49ers fans today, I ask you humbly, just close your eyes, but please listen to us. <laughs> so for me, what's helpful when reaching out to others, I keep three things in mind. It's important to remember that we all made in God's image, including non-believers. We all broken, and we all long for community. So how do we practice being salt and light? I think it means taking the initiative to reach out to our coworkers, um, agreeable or non-agreeable ones, um, to engage our um, neighbors, our, um, the parents of our kids' friends. Um, and we just open up our home and invite them over. We, we host um, plenty of family members and friends uh, regardless of whether or not they're a believer or not. And I, I come from a non-believing family, and food is really important. And so we welcome them to the table, right, both figuratively and literally. Um, and we open up our lives. We're honest. Um, we we um, show them, you know, the messiness, uh, but we're also um, faithful in saying, you know, we, we trust our trust is in the Lord. Um, and so we try to we try to show uh, our faith as every part of our lives and just to be um, transparent. So I'm going to share a quick story. Um, there was a Muslim co uh, co-worker who just moved to the area in June last year and I just took the initiative to get to know him. Um, nothing revolutionary. So it was not until actually the, him and his wife and the kids took us out for dinner that the wife told us that um, he had a really rough time transitioning to this area. So you never know what just these small acts of kindness can do to people. Um, the problem is that we often do not love people well. You can ask my wife and kids and my mother-in-law who lives with us. Uh, I don't, many times I fall short. And so therefore it's important to preach the gospel to ourselves every day and remind ourselves that our true identity is found in Jesus and not in our good deeds or persuasive words or actions. And he's actually the Holy Spirit who calls people to Jesus. We are merely Jesus' ambassadors to a broken world. Another good reminder for myself and for all of us is to not neglect the power of prayer. Um, my mother-in-law is a stout um, Buddhist slash she worships um, ancestors and 
There are many spiritual strongholds in our family and among our friends' lives that need to be broken. We cannot do it ourselves. We need to rely on our Heavenly Father to break those bonds. And one way we can do that is through prayer. And, um, you know, despite the hardships at times, we trust that God is working for our good and his glory. And then, just lastly, Ephesians 2.10, uh, it's a very helpful verse, says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Thank you. Ask God to give us eyes to see where it's dark, feet to walk there, and love with the good news of Jesus. Father, thank you for this time, and thank you for my friends, Rune and Van, for all my brothers and sisters here. What a change we could see in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, in our schools. If this week we seize the opportunity to shine more brightly, to be more salty, because you want people to be new humans who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. May it be so, in Jesus' name, amen.